0: Of the Blood God.
1: <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamers' official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey. With me today is Nadia Oxford, my lovely co host.
2: Hello. Hello.
1: And, as usual, we will be talking about RPGs, big and small, Western and Eastern, because they are the only thing that can dull the pain and the existential terror (laughs) that we are currently going through in the wake of the rather shocking result from last night. Yes, Um, I need
2: all the RPGs and some soup.
1: Yes, uh, I I promise. We're going to talk about the fun stuff today, because what are video games if not escapism? Mm Mm-hmm yeah, we're not going to dwell too much on this election. Don't worry. Um, But suffice it to say, I came very close to being like, you know what, I don't really feel like doing the podcast this week. I don't really feel like talking about video games. But you know, sometimes you just need video games to be like, you know, this is a world that I can escape into for a few hours, at least. I agree
2: 100%. And uh, like I was saying to Kat, maybe it's a little bit of ego, but I like to think that we can be there to, you know, help you guys if you need it to and just kind of talk and and let you escape for a little while
1: and amusingly enough we'll be talking about a game called tyranny today
2: (laughs) the fates align
1: we'll be imagining uh rpgs from the point of view of the villain
2: Mm -hmm. and we swear to god this was not planned this was all planned beforehand this is
1: all so topical (laughs) i just i don't know um we will be talking about mass effect andromeda and the large number of new Uh, new information that recently dropped and hopefully we'll have time to get to an rpg pitch Mm -hmm. finally yes we're gonna do this we made all this noise about we got it all lined up (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's do this nadia mass effect andromeda tons of new information Mm -hmm. that just came in um So a few things that we know about the upcoming game. First thing we know is that you will be playing as one of the Ryder twins, either a lady or a guy, Scott or Sarah, Mm -hmm. and that you will have a dad named Alec Ryder because all video games have to have dads now, because all the game developers are growing up and having kids, and see, like, I identify with the dads now.
2: I- I'm okay with this, but uh, I-, I think we should, uh, Square Enix needs to go back in time and kind of retroactively in- include their dads. Like, I want to see a game with Laguna in it.
1: Ooh, there you go. Yeah. I love Laguna.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so I am pro-dad, but uh, it has to be, like, we have to acknowledge the dads who have come before.
1: Yes, we do. Yes. Well... Oh man, who are the best video game dads? Uh, oh that man, that's that's going to be a great that'd out. be a great topic. Cuz Cause, cause, uh, Laguna was pretty absent in Final Fantasy VIII. Like we didn't really see him very much. Yeah. You know, like and uh, a lot of these heroes in games have always kind of had like a Peter Pan syndrome. Like their parent their family dies mm-hmm. or you know, they're orphans or whatever. So, uh, maybe this is a relatively new phenomenon or you just don't see their families, right? Yeah. I mean, who is the main hero of Final Fantasy VI, essentially an orphan, Mm -hmm. uh, who has a a family of her choosing. Uh, You never... You rarely see the parents. If you have a mother, like, she's just the NPC who helps you out sometimes.
2: Yeah, and uh, in Earthbound, dad is a phone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, literal, actual phone.
1: In Pokemon, you never see your dad, except in Ruby and Sapphire, where the dad is the gym leader. That's right, he's the
2: gym leader. I really liked that. I thought it was really cool.
1: That you have to fight... But beyond that, like beyond Norman, I mean, it was always a running joke in, in Pokemon that Ash was like, Where's my dad? Yeah,
2: what's that's going on?
1: Um, aside from your father, Alec Ryder, you have Liam, who is a human squadmate, an ex cop. <laughs> and you have uh, PB, who is an Asari. And apparently, there will be a new species called the Cat, who will be more of an antagonistic role. Uh, you are going to be traveling in the Andromeda Galaxy. Um, it's kind of like um, have you ever watched Macross, Nadia? Uh,
2: I have not. Um, well, I think I've dabbled in it because I've it, it kind of it's at the back of my mind for some reason. But no, I probably don't know it nearly as well as you do.
1: One of the key kind of universal plot points is that at the end of the original Macross, um, all of these large self-contained colony ships called like mega roads Mm -hmm. uh go out into the universe right Mm -hmm. and are trying to seed humans throughout the galaxy because that's a good idea
2: yeah that's uh, that's worked really well well for us down here on earth guys
1: and you get to see their different stories and of course there are always idols involved (laughs) because power of music love and peace and all that stuff Mm -hmm. but the reason i bring this up is because the the Mass Effect Andromeda idea is kind of similar, like we're going out into the universe, we're trying to seed humanity, we're exploring. And on the one hand, that's like a really cool idea, but it's also kind of like reminiscent of what I was seeing in, in Macross.
0: So.
2: Yeah, that's, that's kind of neat, though. Um, I mean, humans, we're kind of screwed up. We're, we're endlessly fascinating creatures. And, and again, that's ego speaking, but I think we're kind of neat, even when we're assholes.
1: Huh, I like to believe that. I like to have faith in my fellow humans but Me i'm not too. feeling it right now i understand i'm sorry i keep doing this oh my god Let's <laughs> keep talking about rpgs um so i like that they are getting away from kind of the established galaxy of mass effect because mm-hmm. like what well, that was one of the things about mass effect was that you walked into this world where like there was an alien console um you were this like uh, you were going to like these big established places like the citadel uh there were these ancient gates that you didn't really understand what they were there for and actually i loved the twist at the end of the original mass effect and i won't spoil it if you've played if you haven't played the original but the original mass effect just had the best twist in regards to those Uh, it, it was strong stuff so, but it's good to get away from that and kind of establish a kind of a new setting. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, like, um, I'm always kind of sad to leave behind an old universe, but oftentimes just going into a new one, like, you have to just kind of making that break is, is makes it so easy to appreciate the the game that comes next. Uh, so in other words, it's a hard break, but it's usually worth it in the end.
1: Well, you know, after a trilogy exactly. of Mass Effect, I think that... If they had just picked up with Mass Effect 4 and put it back in the same galaxy, I think it would have been kind of stale. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, and now we've got the Riders and Alec Ryder is an N7 agent, just like Shepard was. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, yeah, okay. (laughs) And who are the big bad guys who are coming in, extra galactic threats that are coming in this time? Yeah. So the fact that it's going into the Andromeda galaxy just gives it a different flavor and I'm immediately in favor of that.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty okay with that myself.
1: Uh, so apparently romance options won't be limited by the gender of your character, which is, um, nice, yeah, because nice. in the original Mass Effect, uh, that was always kind of a thing. They, like, made a big deal about the fact that you could have a quote-unquote lesbian relationship with the Asari who don't have gender. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which always, uh, on the one hand, I always thought it was kind of neat that the Asari don't have gender. Yeah, that's, um, that's nice. But on the other hand, like, it, it was a tiny bit of a cop-out, mm-hmm. so... But you know, it's been at this point, it's been almost ten years since the original Mass Effect, which is terrifying to contemplate. Oh, jeez! And uh, I like to think that things have advanced at least a little bit in, in how we view gay relationships and video games and that kind of thing. So I agree; it's been kind of normalized. So,
2: um, I, well, I think the important question here, though, is: Can I marry a Krogan? <laughs>
1: I don't think there will be Krogans in this game. Uh, uh, it doesn't seem like it. It seems like we're going to get an Asari.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And then we're going to gonna get a bunch of new characters. But we're not going to see um, some of the familiar races. Which is too bad because I love the Krogans. they were easily my favorite race in Mass Effect.
2: Yeah, I'm just going to turn around and kick at a rock right now. Kick it down was, the lane.
1: Who was um, Gareth? Well, what was his name? The Geth? Ugh, not the Geth. So the Geth were the robots. Mm-hmm. And you also had the lady, the girl with the mask. Um, I forget what they were called. And But there was the other guy who was like an ex-cop himself. And I forget what he, who he was, but I always found him pretty cool. Garrus? <laughs> Garrus.
2: Yes, yes. Okay, I have a bunch of friends who have a huge crush on him. And he's all right.
1: Yeah, he was all right. I, I tried to date him a little bit at Mass Effect 2, but he was... Kind of rejecting my my shepherd's advances. Um, and then I just went back to my relationship with um, Liara because I was like, I like you, Liara. It's cool. <laughs> when we were going to go fight the Shadow Broker, I was like, oh yeah, like Liara and I were like walking with purpose to go fight the <laughs> Shadow Broker. I'm like, striding All right, together. Yeah, Liara, this, this is great. This is a real relationship now.
2: Let's do this thing. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, so apparently character classes are going to be different. Uh, you won't pick one. You'll fall into one as you build your tech, tr- your skill tree, which mm-hmm. I, I think it's a pretty good idea. And it it's actually a pretty, uh, it's becoming a common trend in RPGs yeah. where we're moving away from these kind of restrictive classes yeah. and allowing people to just kind of organically develop toward one to whatever they want to do.
2: So it's a little bit like Skyrim in that regard.
1: Yeah. But I think the downside of that is that... <laughs> you can build, it's a little, it's a lot easier to build super characters yeah. and you can't have defined, I, I think it's a lot easier to min-max, you can't as easily have defined strengths and weaknesses in your design. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in general, um, forgive me for using this word, I think it's a more, a ca- more flexibility isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it, it does feel like it's designed to cater to more casual uh, fans who don't want to put a lot of thought into maximizing their particular class, mm-hmm. and I think that I mean, we'll see, but it seems like a recipe for something that is as brokenly powerful as Skyrim.
2: Yeah, but uh, I don't mind that so much. <laughs> I am going to I be suppose. a god.
1: And you know, Mass Effect was never exactly known for its mechanical death, mm-hmm. even in mm-hmm. even in the original Mass Effect. <laughs> Pretty much. So apparently Paragon and Renegade are gone. Yeah. Yeah that's, yeah. that's, uh,
2: that'll take some getting used to, I guess.
1: Well, Bob was saying, I remember when we were having, we had Bob on here, he was saying that kind of the good evil meters were kind of a thing of the, of the last generation mm-hmm. and developers have really moved away from that. Yeah. what do you think that is?
2: Pardon me? Why do you think that is? Why have we moved away from that? Yeah. Um, a little too black and white, I guess. Uh, there's a <laughs> there's a vine by I can't remember the guy's name, but he's this like cute little kid who does these uh vines related to video games, and uh, he has one like you know playing a body aware game, and he presses the button for hello, and it says the character says hello fucker I'm gonna kill your family, and he's like what the hell I didn't do this, <laughs> so so
1: yeah so it takes away kind of the the actual role playing and it becomes creates a character that you were like what i don't want to be like that i want some nuance
2: yeah exactly because let's face it people are people are nuanced for the most part um when they make choices even if they seem like bad choices they usually have reasons
1: (laughs) i can think of some people who are not nuanced in the least
2: that too Uh, again that Uh, is uh, basically a a philosophy about people i like to keep in my heart but it's not always true but at the same time (laughs) it's nice to see nuance in video games
1: I would argue that Paragon and Renegade never worked all that well because, first of all, if you played Mass Effect all the way through, you were punished dramatically for Renegade choices. Mm -hmm. Like Renegade was not, it was not a viable path if you wanted a good ending. Right. Um, Which was kind of a drag, you know? Yeah,
2: and uh, that's always been a flaw for a lot of video games where if you choose the bad path, well, you're going to have a bad time to quote Sans.
1: And not only that, it was always a little bit too restrictive and also just really gamey, right? Mm-hmm. like like it's just really mechanical in in its implementation, and I think people are looking for something a little more organic that is more reflective of their actual stance and you can get you you said it was a little too black and white. we can get more of those shades of gray,
2: yeah, exactly, I agree,
1: and apparently, there will be dialogue options with different tones, so we'll see how that impacts everything mm-hmm. um if you Take a more like a much harsher tone or a more conciliatory tone or whatever. Mm -hmm. So uh, you can reallocate skill points to change up your specializations. So if you get bored with one specialization, that specialization that'll be nice, which is good because I uh, I remember picking um, uh, I forget which class I picked in the original Mass Effect, and I did not like that class. Mm -hmm. But you're pretty much stuck with that class for the entire game. I I had a lot of success with being a sniper, Mm -hmm. especially once I (laughs) leveled up my gun a little bit and figured out how to steady my hand. Oh (laughs) my god, the shooting in that game was so bad. Did you play the original Mass Effect?
2: I have not. Um, Really? Did you play Mass Effect 2? No, I have not.
1: Oh, Mass Effect 2 is really good.
2: I've actually, um, I've talked in the past about how much I love Star Control 2, so like I really need to play Mass Effect, Uh, but I'll be honest People... Two
1: totally different games.
2: I know, but just like the the themes are yeah, supposedly yeah. very similar. But I've also had people intimidate the hell out of me by saying, oh, if you don't play Mass Effect 1, don't bother with 2. So I'm just like, mm. like, where do I start?
1: You know, if you pick up the, well, if you pick up any version of Mass Effect 2, mm-hmm. you can actually get the... You can download as a piece of DLC this story experience that lets you make all of the choices from the original Mass Effect.
2: Yeah, and that's what I've heard. And that sounds like a very good idea, but then people tell me, "Oh, it's not the same." So
1: it's not, but the original Mass Effect—I um, don't think it holds up extremely well. I, I suppose if you play it on PC, it's not as bad. Yeah, it's certainly certainly really aged. Yeah, on the 360. That's what I've heard. And the and the PS3. Uh, like they really, the implementation of the Unreal Engine back then was really not super great. Yeah, Mass Effect Two was a lot of fun. Like it, I, I really enjoyed the the kind of a Dirty Dozen kind of feel toward it. Mm-hmm. To it, I liked the the way that it built on the decisions from the first game. Uh, my, I, I liked the way my character kind of evolved. Like yeah. when I was, I was a hardcore renegade in the original Mass Effect. But my character, I kind of role-played my character as starting to regret her choices by Mass Effect 2. Right. And like going much more Paragon. Yeah. Which was satisfying to me. And the suicide mission at the end is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. It is just such a great culmination of everything that comes before it. And then there's three. That's leading up to that point. <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, Mass Effect is one of those games where, uh, even though I haven't played it, I'm fairly familiar with the lore and and whatnot, because it seems like such an interesting universe.
1: It's okay. I I think that it borrows pretty heavily from established sci-fi tropes, uh, particularly the Cthulhu-like Reapers, Mm -hmm. um, the extragalactic menace who are beyond all comprehension and all that stuff.
2: Yeah, but if it wasn't for Lovecraft, there wouldn't be any sci-fi whatsoever. Everyone just rips off from him. (laughs)
1: I've often said that Mass Effect is basically Babylon 5, uh, but not subversive at all. Yeah. Because one of the things about Babylon 5 is that it introduces this extra galactic, well, not extra galactic, this ancient threat, kind of like, almost like Lord of the Rings, Mm -hmm. kind of like darkness. And eventually you realize that it's like, oh, okay, well they're not necessarily the quote-unquote bad guys Mm -hmm. like there's a lot more to this story than just we must all rally together to fight the evil darkness that wants to destroy all life
2: yeah and uh, again going back to star control 2 that was very much the same thing (laughs) so everyone's just kind of borrowing from each other let's say
1: yes there is not an original idea in video games nothing's Um,
2: new under the sun
1: but I do encourage you to play Mass Effect 2. Mass Effect 3 is kind of more of the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, it bored the crap out of me.
2: Yeah, Mass Effect 3, like I hear so many people speak very highly of it. But then when they get to 3, it's kind of like, eh, it's all right.
1: Yeah, I, I find the original Mass Effect trilogy to be pretty flawed, mm-hmm. to be honest. It had a lot of good ideas, but I think Mass Effect 2 was the best of them. And even then, it just streamlined the hell out of all of the good ideas from the original. Mm -hmm. You know, there's one thing about the original that they took out in two and I always really hated Mm -hmm. was the seamlessness of losing your ship when you went on a planet. Right. Because when they took that away and just made it a loading screen, Mm. like I lost the sense that I was actually in a spaceship. I lost that kind of sense of immersion and it became a lot more artificial to me.
2: Yeah, that's understandable.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a drag, let's say. But oh, Mass Effect Two has the best DLC as well. Mm-hmm. But I digress. If you haven't played the original Mass Effect, I, I have a, uh, a friend and former guest in this podcast, uh, Rowan Kaiser, who is of the opinion that Mass Effect is like one of the, ten most important games of the past like fifteen years or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I strongly disagree with him <laughs> on that front, actually. <laughs> I think Mass Effect was fine, but I think its influence is actually pretty limited in right. the grand scheme of things, and that it was a deeply, deeply flawed series, mm-hmm. but it, like I said, certainly, it certainly has a following, and it's not without merit.
2: Yeah, but. I have uh, many, many friends who think very very highly of two, at least.
1: But, yeah, so yeah, um, I think that what I know so far of Mass Effect Andromeda certainly has me interested uh, especially if they open it up a lot and let me go to a lot of interesting worlds, as it seems to be implying when they say that you go, you, you can go to these worlds and fight, like, optional bosses mm-hmm. and do side quests and stuff. Mm-hmm. And since you didn't play Mass Effect 2, you, you probably don't know what loyalty missions are. Like, the loyalty missions were, you, you would essentially do a character-specific side quest. Mm-hmm. And that would tell you, like, kind of their background. Right. Some of them were better than others. Right. And if you beat them, if you beat that loyalty mission, you would get, like, an armor upgrade. And they would become more loyal to you. Right. And... Uh, spoiler alert, if you don't do them in Mass Effect 2, they're probably going to die. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, dear.
1: So you you really want to do all of the loyalty missions. Yeah. Don't skimp on the loyalty <laughs> missions. I us-
2: I'm usually pretty good about doing, like, side quests and whatnot, so we'll be okay.
1: I always thought it was funny that in Mass Effect 2, if you do everything wrong in the final mission, it is theoretically possible to have an ending where everybody dies. Aww including shepherd and it becomes like the ending like that is the worst possible ending that you can get
2: bad ending this is bad end
1: you have to kind of work hard for that one though
2: (laughs) you have to be a real jerk
1: yeah so mass effect andromeda i like to believe that bioware has learned some of its lessons from the mistakes made with mass effect 3 and i guess we'll see yeah I would put my excitement slash interest at this at about like a seven out of 10. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not like, I I think that I will be way more excited when say Elder Scrolls six gets announced, but I'm sure I'll buy it day one. What about you?
2: Uh, I'll guess I give uh, as good as a good excuse as any to give two a try. So uh, if I like that, sure.
1: I mean, I think mass effect and drama is just a whole new thing. So you can probably pick up the series with Andromeda, and if it really appeals to you, then you, can pick up, uh, then you can pick up two.
2: That's true, that's a good point. This is like a whole new start, so if I'm really into what I play, then uh, go backwards.
1: Indeed. Uh, speaking of fresh starts, let's talk about Tyranny, mm-hmm. which uh, coverage started to go up on Thursday. This is a new RPG by Obsidian. Um, Obsidian recently got back into isometric RPGs. Mhm. Uh their most recent game was Pillars of Eternity, which had a very different feel to it than Tyranny did. Pillars of Eternity was more mysterious, I think. Mm-hmm. You you had like these dark forces that were operating throughout history. You were fighting kind of like evil, right? right? Like pure evil. And you had a variety of some pretty interesting characters. Like, you had a mad prophet with you. It was it was a pretty dark world in a lot of respects. And you were very much on your own as you went through it. Tyranny is very different.
2: It is. Um, I didn't get to play uh, Pillars of Eternity, but uh, from what you describe, yeah, Tyranny is very different.
1: Yeah, so in Tyranny, you are the agent of this Genghis Khan-like figure, or maybe Julius Caesar-like figure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who is conquering the known world. Yeah. And when the game picks up, you are helping two of his armies, uh, the Disfavored, who are kind of their elite shock troops, mm-hmm. and the Scarlet Chorus, who are like, you know, the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> in helping to uh, subdue this last region. And much like I mentioned Mass Effect earlier like how you could do this kind of story experience where you will make all the decisions in a ma- an emotion comic mm-hmm. it's, it's very similar yeah actually to how they start tyranny so you you, you get you know um, you see a map and you see like these little like chess pieces come down and you can choose which one you want to go to mm-hmm. and the one that you go to is like de- defines the decisions that you have to make right and Pretty early on, you find out that there's no way that the disfavored and the Scarlet Chorus hate each other. Yeah. (laughs) And there's no way to square that circle. There's just no way to make them both happy. You're going to have to pick one. There
2: is no middle ground. You choose a side, essentially.
1: There's just no way to make everybody happy. Like People are going to become mad at you. And so I discovered that in kind of the harshest terms possible when... We were fighting to conquer this um, this temple, mm-hmm. like this this haven for magic users. Right. And as a magic user myself, I was like, lots of good loot, yeah, <laughs> let's do this thing, right. And I made a decision to save these books, which were apparently against the law of curios. Mm-hmm. And the disfavored responded by leaving in a huff. <laughs>
2: Here's this mighty conquering army just leaving in a huff, like, ah, oh, I can't believe what you've done here.
1: Which meant I didn't have the numbers to conquer this, this temple. Oh, dear. So you know what Curios did? What? He nuked it. He nuked it.
2: That sounds like something he would do going by what the whole plot of the game is, which is um, there is a rebellion, and if you don't quell this rebellion, everybody dies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's just going to assault that bit of earth he doesn't care yeah
1: exactly he he issues these edicts and it's like if you do not follow this edict sorry you die everybody dies all of the people die so you better fulfill your
2: mission yeah that's a hell of a motivator
1: (laughs) yeah exactly so yeah, I felt a little dumb uh, for trying to be so conciliatory and also trying to protect all the things because in Saving tomes, I accidentally got the entire damn library nuked, which was a little embarrassing.
2: <laughs> Whoopsie. My bad.
1: How about you, Nadia? What did you experience?
2: Um, I didn't have anything quite as earth-shattering as that. Um, I basically favored the... Um, disfavored if you will (laughs) so that's you can't do that they're disfavored for a reason well i sided with them for most of their decisions and i came out okay in the end uh we had this conflict with this um i forget what the name of the judges are who work under kairos but uh one of them went rogue and since he was a huge giant basically stopping him turned out to be a real um task so it came down to okay am i going to throw the scarlet Course against this big monster, or am I gonna, like, throw the elite disfavored against him? And I'm like, uh, you know what? The, the Scarlet Course guys, you guys have the, the advantage of numbers, so you go <laughs> you go do that thing over there. And the Dishonored were, uh, sorry, the Disfavored were were quite happy with that decision. Um, he was stopped, and uh, there was a big earthquake, and there was a lot of damage done, but, uh, uh, you know, at least we, most of us survived? Well, that's good. There were, there were no that's libraries really- nuked, at least.
1: That's one of the big things about tyranny actually is that you have these world these areas that can be changed dramatically or be very different depending on the decisions that you end up making Yes hence the nuked library
2: <laughs> and the shattered earth
1: <laughs> yes, exactly like so uh, kind of a kind of a cool idea there by obsidian I think mm-hmm. so I'm curious did did the game start for you with a rebellion um, that you had to stop?
2: yes uh did you not get the same scenario
1: yeah i got the same scenario okay. Where like it opens with the skull and like the fires like the lava's pulling, pouring out or something yeah yeah and the or the blood water i guess yeah i guess it was like blood water. there was
2: blood involved and it was coming out of someone's eyes so
1: <laughs> and you had to conquer this village that was full of rebels yes and the disfavored and the scarlet chorus are working with you and it picks up And comments on a lot of the decisions that you make. Yes. And you kind of build your reputation in this early act. And so uh, characters for me, like, because I was always trying to strike bargains, like, my character was a diplomat, Mm -hmm. a diplomat spellcaster. So I was always trying to, like, negotiate truces and, like... Because the Scarlet Chorus was always wanting to integrate people into their ranks rather than kill them outright, like the Disfavored, I always went with the, the Scarlet Chorus, mm-hmm. which is why the Disfavored didn't really like me. <laughs> <laughs> the Disfavored just wanted to kill everybody and salt the earth.
2: Yeah, basically. Uh, the Disfavored are, ve- are mostly interested in like elite warriors, um, whereas the Scarlet Chorus, they'll recruit anyone to bolster their numbers.
1: Pretty much. They're like the Zerg. Yes. And their leader is like the Joker. He is like this kind of demonic character with like fire coming out of like... Everything. <laughs> various everything. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he he's like comically evil, like uh, mustache twirling evil.
2: I actually saw him referenced in the lore, but I didn't actually get to meet him.
1: Yeah, you meet him in the tent. Oh, okay, and uh, you see him arguing with um, you see him arguing with the disfavored general, and all they do is freaking argue. Of course, until things come to a head a little bit, mm-hmm. and you you pick up you pick up a party pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So you see, you pick up a guy who has like all of his armor fused to him. Cool. Yeah, this is kind of interesting. He seems like a nice guy. How does he pee? uh it doesn't really explain to that one
2: (laughs) come on video game step it up
1: uh he like is sided with the disfavored but then you also have a lady that you meet like really early on who's like kind of a crazy warrior and she works for the scarlet chorus Mm -hmm. so the guy with the armor fused to him is a tank and she is an kind of an offensive well not an offensive tank she's like, pure DPS. Like, she goes in and she can, like, shoot fire arrows, but she can also, like, slash and slash and burn with, like, dual-wielding daggers mm-hmm. and stuff. So she's pretty good. And the trouble is, depending on your decisions, you can piss off some of your party members so much that they'll just quit.
2: <laughs> I am outie.
1: Which is what happened to me with the guy in the armor, Oh, actually. Really? Yeah, uh, I pissed off the disfavored so much that he was just like, nope can't trust you you're crazy i don't like you i'm out of here and i actually said you're i'm gonna issue an edict that binds you to my side you have to follow me wow and he was like i don't like you and i'm like i don't like you either i don't care i don't care but then i reloaded and i was a little nicer to him (laughs) and it pretty quickly came out that he had a big crush on the the lady from the scarlet chorus who was also in my party I was like, oh, it's so sweet.
2: That's very nice. I don't nice.
1: know how you already have a crush on her, given that you've known her for all of, like, two days. <laughs> it's been a long but two days. Whatevs. I also managed to save this crazy old sage, who was, like, tied up to a post and, like, on the verge of being executed. Mm-hmm. You got to be really careful. Like, if you are just toss away characters, you're potentially throwing away playable characters in this game. Right. So, so I, got, I got a party, and then my character... Like mostly uses ice spells. Like I've, I've managed to unlock kind of range spells and stuff. Um, have you tried the spell creation stuff yet?
2: No. Uh, as I described in an earlier episode, I am just not a spellcaster. Uh, I actually went for the hunter character, mm. kind of a more thief sort of build. Um, I think I have a little bit of magic, but I haven't done any sort of magic crafting.
1: I'm not normally a spellcaster either. Um, I tend to find spellcasting a little boring. Mm-hmm. But I really wanted to go for something different in this one, so I created a spellcaster, and I have frost magic and, like, buff magic so that I can buff up my party. Mm -hmm. And one of the things early on that happens is that you get access to these ruins, and basically you combine them to create magic. So you have, like, a distance ruin and a close-range ruin, and then on the other side you have, like, the vitality ruin, the, the frost magic ruin, and you know, something else, and then you can further augment them with, like, uh, elemental ruins or more powerful mm-hmm. runes to create even more powerful spells, but they're, like, one use. Right. So you kind of got to be careful with how you use them. Kind of an interesting system. Yeah, that
2: does sound pretty fun. Um, and saying that as someone who's really not interested in magic spells, but I do like the idea of, like, kind of having more control over what your spells can do.
1: Right. Uh The basic spells, you just... Once you get ruins, you can craft them anytime you want and just attach them to anybody. Mm-hmm. It's it's the augmentation um, effects that you have to be a little careful with. Right. Because that's only a one, one-off kind of thing. So, but And then you also have kind of a limited space for being able to actually attach these spells to your character. Mm-hmm. So you have to think pretty hard about which spells you actually want to... Uh, power yourself up with and I actually really regret taking the these stealth spells for my character because I assumed that I would want to be able to uh, escape on a moment's notice if I was getting targeted mm-hmm. and then like reoriented myself and just keep hitting them from a distance the problem is that the stealth spells ca- take way too long to cast
2: yeah yeah um, I I think I ha- actually have a, a stealth spell because I, I'm a hunter but uh, I noticed some spells take longer to cast than others
1: the hunters are pretty powerful in this one, right? Like, this yeah. seems like the bow attacks are quite good.
2: Yeah, I got a bow attack as my primary attack, and a javelin as my secondary attack, and uh, so yeah, I'm just kind of nice. standing back while uh, my other characters, like, you know, get hit in the face, and I'm just like, do-do-do, plink, plink, plink.
1: Feels like ranged attacks are really, really good, actually.
2: Yeah, I'm always good with ranged attacks.
1: Assuming that they don't get through your meat shield to come and get you. Yeah. Because <laughs> if they do that, you're kind of you screwed. A problem. Yeah, you really do. Uh, I... Luckily, the meat shield, um, the used armor guy, is like super strong.
2: Well, he's made of armor.
1: He'd he is, be. in fact, made of armor. And I was having a lot of luck just. I would, when people were coming at me, I would have. So I would have Scarlet Chorus girls shoot a burning arrow to start one of them on fire, <laughs> which would freeze them. Right. As they were going,
2: running around screaming.
1: I would have him taunt another so that they would come after him Mm -hmm. and engage him and I would have my main character use a ranged frost spell to freeze others Mm -hmm. and I was able to kind of carve through the enemy party like a hot knife through butter nice and I had a sage who would also periodically heal me like I felt pretty powerful like almost right from the outset which is Nice. Uh, I, I think that was also the case with Pillars of Eternity. Um, almost right from the start, you have tiered spells that are pretty strong. hmm So here's the difference between Tyranny and Pillars of Eternity. Pillars of Eternity was a much m- stricter Dungeons and Dragons kind of system. Yes,
2: it was. Where
1: you had encounter powers and you had powers that you could only use, like, a couple times per rest. Mm-hmm. And you had powers that had traditional cooldown, and you had to be very judicious with how you use them right like if you are in a a particular battle like it it would make you save certain powers for like boss battles and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and I'll be honest, I prefer that right. I see a lot of developers, a lot of designers now saying, "Oh." Well, we want people to actually use the powers that they have, um even in regular battles because they're saving them too much. Mm-hmm. But I would actually say that it adds to the when you're fighting a boss battle, you want to feel like you have that extra reserve of power to start bringing out,
2: yeah, but at the same time, I'm the kind of person who's really paranoid about using that kind of power ever, <laughs> even against bosses. I'm the very, very much the person who has like those fifty ethers at the end of the game that they never used.
1: right because you're always like oh my god this is way too hard to get
2: yeah and then you're like oh boss battle i should use one now but what if i come up against a harder boss so and at the end of the game it's like oh i can make a house out of these
1: but i mean like you could always just go to a campsite and recover all of your stuff away that's just it's just resource management right yeah making sure that you properly use all of your resources, and don't just go. Well, I'm gonna dump everything into uh, this little goblin guy, <laughs> <laughs> and he's gonna be like a pile of ash when I'm done. But I'm not gonna have any charges left. So, but with tyranny, there are encounter powers that powers that can only be used a couple times per encounter. Mm-hmm. But there don't seem to be powers for rest, unless. Unless I haven't hit the much higher tier powers yet.
2: Yeah, that's also very possible. I mean, how far have you played into the game?
1: Oh, I haven't played. The, like a few hours. Yeah, um, so
2: who knows at this point.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I... So, but it's it's a lot more focused on cooldowns and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Right. And not only that, but like in Pillars of Eternity, you get six characters
2: mm-hmm.
1: per party. And in this one, you only get four. Yeah not sure how i feel about that still
2: i guess uh if you have like more free reign with your powers in uh tyranny then that kind of makes up the difference but uh yeah i see where you're coming from
1: i suppose i think i mean i think the problem is with so i asked them why why only four as opposed to six Mm -hmm. and obsidian was like you can go back to a previous episode and listen to our interview with the obsidi- with the tyranny <laughs> uh, development team. I will even link it in the show notes if you want to hear my interview with them. But they were like, "Well, we wanted a um, we wanted something that was easier to manage."
2: Right, I can understand because that too. Because
1: six characters is kind of hard to manage at any given time, which to me doesn't hold a ton of water because you can save it. Mm-hmm. And Or you can just pause it, set That's up true. all of your moves, yeah. unpause, watch how things are going, pause, move people around, unpause, watch how things are going. It can be a little chaotic, but I sort of feel like four characters might limit your options a little too much. Mm-hmm. So
2: I'm someone who... who- likes to keep things organized, so I'm actually a little happier with just having four versus six, but I can also see why the the lack of options would make someone like you a little more unhappy about it.
1: I think the problem is, in games like these, you always have to have a tank, Mm -hmm. and you always have to have a spellcaster. Right. And you rarely are in a situation where you can just go without. Like I, I think the peak example of this is in Dragon Age, where magic was just uber powerful the original dragon age mm-hmm. and you so really you already had a minimum of two slots accounted for and there were people like oh well if i was a rogue and i just had like a ton of potions i could keep my party alive but that i mean that was kind of almost like a challenge like you yeah. saying oh i'm gonna I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight against these artificial limitations. I'm just going to challenge myself and not use a mage. Mm-hmm. And I think that's once again the case in Tyranny. I think I think mages are once again very powerful. And so are hunters, actually. Yeah. But, so in that regard, once again, you have to issue where the part a couple of slots from the party is already accounted for mm-hmm. and it's like what else can you stick in these last and maybe you need a healer too so that's three slots I need and it's like okay <laughs> and then it's like okay well i got one slot what do i want to put in there i guess a rogue maybe or a hunter i don't know
2: puppy dog
0: an
1: offensive tank mm-hmm. so uh, that's why i prefer to have six i like to have a lot more flexibility yeah I, my party I can building. understand
2: that but especially because party building is my favorite
1: thing to do in an RPG, it's my absolute favorite thing.
2: Yeah, see, I think we've had this discussion in the past with me and jobs and stuff like that. I tend to get int- int- intimidated a lot more easily, so mm-hmm. I'm okay with just having less options. But at the same time, I understand why other people would be like, "No, I want like a party of six white mages." And I <laughs> indeed. So Nadia, are you enjoying Tyranny? I am. Um, It runs a little slow on my computer, strangely enough, and I have an okay computer, Mm. but uh, I'll definitely be uh, resuming and seeing how far I can get before I just die horribly or whatever fate has planned for me.
1: I am enjoying Tyranny as well. Mm -hmm. I think that there are some smart design decisions going on. I really like how different and interesting it is to get dumped into this this system where you are the establishment yes you are part of the empire and you can go in a lot of different directions that's neat i think there are really a lot of intriguing role-playing possibilities in there where you can really go in a lot of different directions which i think is always a great thing to see in an rpg Mm -hmm. i think that it's definitely a lot more streamlined than pillars of eternity and i miss some of the the more nuanced systems of Pillars of Eternity and I prefer the the stricter Dungeons and Dragons style. Mm-hmm. But I can see why they went for a slightly more casual approach and I don't think it completely compromises things. Right. Like, there's still some nice skill trees and you got your classes and stuff and and like the battles are still reasonably fun. So yeah. it doesn't completely compromise the game. I'm just like
2: Eh, from what whatever. i from what i played even though it's uh, a small bit uh, it, it's a it's a well-built game you could see a lot of work and love went into it
1: yeah i i always trust obsidian to know what yeah like i, I like just spent RPG. all this
2: time just reading the lore and, and the character information and stuff like that and that's always uh fun to do
1: even better i haven't run in, in, into any bugs yet so i'm yeah. sure that will change <laughs>
2: <laughs> neither have i
1: but I, i'm I'm kind of wondering if Tyranny will actually get picked up and noticed because I it's so. been flying under the radar all year. Like, it feels like everybody's been kind of forgetting about it.
2: Well, we're talking but,
1: about it. Oh, we certainly are. But that's because we're the RPG podcast. That's we true. We try and notice all of the RPGs that are worth talking about. And Tyranny is certainly worth talking about. So we'll, re- we'll revisit a little bit down the line. Yeah, I'd like um, to. After I've had a chance to like really like play it and wrap it up. But so far, so good.
2: Yeah, so far, so good.
1: So far, so good. Okay, before we move on to the final subject, let's quickly do a little thought experiment. So, one of the conceits of tyranny <laughs> is that you're the villain. Uh-huh. Like, you're the bad guy. You're the evil empire that all of the characters in Final Fantasy are fighting. And so, I, I, I decided to have a little fun with this idea and ask, what would other RPGs look like if you were playing as a villain? Okay? Mm-hmm. Here's my first one, Nadia. hmm Sephiroth in Final Fantasy Seven.
2: Well he can he probably just like summon the universe to, to to crush whoever annoys him, like someone's in front of him in line and is like, Uh uh-uh, uh, I'm summoning the universe to crush you.
1: So I'm imagining something almost like Witcher Three. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So instead of being a party paced RPG, you're a single character. Almost like lightning returns, actually. Mm-hmm. Right? And so you know you can even imagine the battle system where it's like duels with enemy characters.
2: That'd be cool. big sword.
1: And everybody's on your tail, the Shinra are on your tail, the uh, the party members from the avalanche is on your tail. Um, you fight all the way through Shinra and ultimately kill the president. Uh, and your whole goal is to cast meteor and bring it down upon the planet.
2: Yeah, and you can uh, kill that big ass snake too. Yeah, and exactly. And then pale it on a on a tree trunk.
1: And as you become more and more powerful, like your powers stem from like the black materia and like Genova mm-hmm. <laughs> or something <laughs> or something. Yeah, I don't know, but I I think that it would be kind of the anti-hero rpg right yeah like and and at the end of the game you are you know you're the one in winged angel you're like super powered yeah and you have all of these abilities but you're fighting multiple high high level heroes
2: yes that does sound uh that sounds pretty cool i could i would play that no doubt
1: i would in fact play that and i'm surprised square enix hasn't already made it
2: Well, even if they did make it, they'd probably jam up the story with a whole bunch of uh, compilation of Final Fantasy VII junk.
1: Because Sephiroth... Is Sephiroth the most popular villain in Final Fantasy? He is up there, definitely. I would wager that he is. I don't think he was the best villain. Mm -hmm. He had mommy issues. Just a few. He was crazy. Uh, He was genetically enhanced or something, I don't know. Um, I think Kefka was a much better villain than yeah, uh, Sephiroth ultimately was. yeah, but I think that his journey would be a compelling game.
2: it would. it because it, it it stretches across the world, whereas Kefka is once he Kefka doesn't really go anywhere. <laughs> he he go he lives in the empire and then he sits in a tower and that's his journey. So, yeah, I see where you're coming from.
1: Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I think that being Kefka could be a great RPG. Here's why. So first of all, you would have a party. Your party would be like the Imperial Soldiers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And a lot of his story, uh, initial story arc, is him plan- plotting against Emperor Gestal. That's true. So you would be simultaneously undermining the Empire, uh, but also working for it.
2: Right. Okay, that would be kind of interesting. Working
1: towards your own goals. And it's not quite as clear cut as Final Fantasy VII but I think that there's space uh, to do some interesting and fun things with that.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Okay, yeah, you sold me. I, I could deal with that. Of course, I'm pro anything Final Fantasy six. so if Square Enix gave us any sort of supplemental material like they've been doing with Final Fantasy seven for a million years, I'd snap that up.
1: I kind of want to hear, like, do you have any uh, good RPGs that would be more fun if you were the villain, or at least pretty fun if you were the villain.
2: Well, there's one thing I can say is uh, even though Final Fantasy for the after years, was a bad game, I really liked the fact he could play as Golbez. Um, I think he mm. had the only interesting part of that whole story. Um, but as for villains who I like to play as in like hypothetical games, um, when we talked about our favorite RPG villains, I mentioned Luca Blight. And he would be a really, really interesting character to play as. Because, like Kefka, he undermines the whole his his father and and the kingdom and everything. And just on top of his scheming, he is just a bloodthirsty monster. And he can use a sword and he can use magic. And he's not afraid to use that sword and that magic. And he has no remorse, no pity, no anything that he does not care. If you are in, in the way of his goals, he is going to cut you down. And just playing as that ruthless kind of villain like you know sometimes you're just in the mood for that you know
1: yeah that's one of the things in tyranny is that you can really decide how far you want to be exactly do you want to be kind of a lawful evil or do you want to be a chaotic evil yeah essentially <laughs> which i think is cool right yeah or do you want to just like go full good and like do a full heel face turn and team up with the um with the good the, with the rebellion mm-hmm. like you can do that as well so I, I like to imagine that in, in a hypothetical game where you're L- Luca Blight, you would, um, you could decide, like essentially, whoever is controlling Luca Blight decide to go full chaotic evil.
2: Yes, although it'd be <laughs> like, it'd be interesting because I mean it, it's kind of inferred that Luca Blight his mind is completely snapped because he watched his mother get raped repeatedly. Mm. So um, the game itself never really I- explores that. Um, blatantly which okay that's fine with me frankly but the point is yeah rape
1: as a plot device Woo! yeah
2: it can be done but you have to be really careful about it um, but the thing is okay he obviously has some issues can he work through those issues can he still see the light or is he completely gone you know what I mean like it's one of those things maybe you would have to decide
1: hmm indeed alright here's another like weird one and maybe this wouldn't work as well mm-hmm the Reapers from Mass Effect, mm-hmm. where it becomes almost kind of a simulation RPG. Oh, oh no. Here, here's a good one. All right. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. So in the original Mass Effect, you are fighting a rogue N7 agent who is trying to bring back the Reapers or trying to pave the way for the Reapers. Mm-hmm. And he's been um, taken over by, I don't know, by them. I, there's a process. Right. Like he's been mind controlled by them. And I think that would make for sort of an interesting RPG where you're working for these dark forces to bring them in and you are the rogue agent. (laughs) Oh, that'd be cool. Fighting against the establishment. Yeah. And you get the evil powers and your character becomes more and more powerful as they steadily degrade Mm -hmm. until... I mean, maybe you win quote unquote, but your character ultimately dies. Wow, that's dark. And if you can get like uh characters to help you, uh that would also be a lot of fun. hmm
2: That sounds pretty uh, cool.
1: Yeah, no, so I would I would definitely play that. That would be that would be an interesting kind of twist on the traditional kind of mass effect narrative. So Are there any villains in Dragon Quest? Uh, I suppose most of the villains in Dragon Quest are these, like, nebulous, uh, more nebulous characters. I think
2: four had, um, or was it six? One of them had this villain that was, like, an an elf who had been really wronged by humanity and was really pissed off about it, who was definitely Mm -hmm. had the chance for redemption. But generally, you're talking about, like, all-out evil. Except, you know what? Um I don't know if you ever finished Dragon Quest Builders, but the Dragon Lord is actually painted as kind of a sympathetic figure in that game.
1: Oh, because he yeah. it is stated
2: several times that um, he is a savior to the monsters because, you know, humans <laughs> go around beating them up all the time, so yeah, most of the monsters are okay with him. And they're... Not all of them. That, that's a, another interesting point, but, um, <laughs> you know, y- you're being kind of a jerk.
1: How about being a dragon in Skyrim... <laughs>
2: I would, I would be okay with that. I, I think you should play as uh, Parthenax. That would be a really interesting game.
1: Oh, I could deal yeah. with that. No, being a dragon in an RPG would actually be kind of
2: rad, right? Yeah, we really don't have enough dragon uh, games. I was actually really kind of pissed off when I heard that uh, Lair was supposed to be a Dragonlance game originally.
1: Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, that's
2: fairly recent news that came out if you want to look it up. But uh, the license was too expensive because Wizards of the Coast had it by then, et cetera, et cetera. so...
1: Oh uh, okay.
2: Um. But yeah, it was originally supposed to be uh, a Dragonlance game, and I'm a huge Dragonlance fan, so I was like, oh.
1: I think the problem with playing as a villain in most RPGs is that they are part of this like monolithic structure, mm-hmm. and they are more of a goal. Like they don't move from their palace, or whatever. <laughs> and then they sit
2: on their throne and like it.
1: That's why characters like you know Sephiroth and uh, the the main villain from Mass Effect and. Things like that are kind of interesting because they are dynamic villains mm-hmm. who aren't just waiting for you to come to them. Mm-hmm. They are enacting their own plans. They're getting stuff and done. And I think that's the kind of RPG that I want to play.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So I think we've uh, cited some pretty interesting uh, examples, though.
1: Yeah, and if you have any interesting examples of your own, I encourage you to send them in to me uh, to cat.bailey at net or drop me a p.m., uh, at cap bailey on the site or send me contact me on twitter at the underscore catbot or t- contact nadia yes please and tell me what villain would you want to play in as in an rpg and if i get enough interesting responses i will totally read them on the air Woo. promise <laughs> i know i say that a lot but this time i'm for speaking for real this please. is for real And speaking of reading stuff on, on the air for realsies, let's do our final segment. It's time for our underrated RPG pitch. Yay. And this week's underrated RPG pitch is from Devin Sloan, who says that he's a big fan. He actually sent me two pitches, but I'm only gonna read one because I think one of that each one deserves their own kind of <clears throat> I suppose uh, time in the sun. <laughs> as opposed to splitting them up so here's the first one the first one is grandia 2 Mm -hmm. grandia 2 is best remembered for its combat system similar to final fantasy's atb system characters must go through a wait period before you can select their action then after more wait time depending on the action chosen the character makes their move so yeah the battle system in grandia 2 is really good that's the upshot of all this um you you can interrupt characters and everything um it's a lot of fun in that regard there's a a lot of it feels active and dynamic despite being turn-based and it can there's a lot of risk reward because if you pick the more powerful spells you're going to um have to you have to wait longer Mm -hmm. and that is a problem if you get interrupted right he goes. I feel like the story also deserves some credit, though. The dynamic between Alina and Millennia starts off as fairly cliche. Alina is kind of this, um, this magical girl, mm-hmm. like cute, fairly cliche girl, and millenia is her evil half, mm-hmm. almost bordering on offensive. And how it portrays two sides of the same girl as either angelic or demonic, with no middle ground. But over time, the ghost game shows its hand, and how it's actually subverting those stereotypes neither millennia nor elena are as black or white as they initially appear elena shows herself as dealing with serious regrets and doubts despite putting on the show of being the perfect nun (laughs) while millennia displays more kindness and heart than one would expect from a literal demon who is also trying to bring back the big bad but i digress and by the way i think millennia would you know i I suppose millennia is sort of a hero i don't know she's part of your your team i suppose in a weird way both characters occupying the same body is, in my opinion, a strong critique of how women in anime are so often portrayed as being either the literary virgin or whore. Combine that with several other interesting characters, beautiful artwork, voiced characters. voice care. acting probably doesn't hold up today, but it was cool for the time. I think it was fine. And cool special effects made from one of the best RPGs on the Dreamcast. So happy this one got an HD remake just last year, but I'd love to see a Grandia 4 in the future. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Grandia 3 wasn't that good.
2: I'm assuming if, he's, if he cited 2 and not 3, that's usually an indication that uh, 3 wasn't so good.
1: Yeah, a lot of people were like, oh, the original Grandy was the best. 2 wasn't as good. I thought 2 was really good. I played it on the Dreamcast. I really enjoyed it back in the day. Um, it was like one of the very, very few RPGs that came out in the US on the Dreamcast.
2: Yeah, the Dreamcast was kind of lacking. Um, I don't have it on the Dreamcast, but I did buy the HD remake, but I haven't played it just yet.
1: Yes, uh, I don't know that it holds up super well. Mm-hmm. I, well, certainly visually, it hasn't really held up. It looked fine. It, it looked really good in nineteen ninety nine or two thousand <laughs> or whatever it came out. But it, it, it now looks kind of like a slightly, slightly more visually impressive uh, PlayStation game. Right. And it follows a lot of the kind of JRPG cliches of you fighting the evil church, the corrupted church and all that stuff, and the the evil enemy coming back and all that. And and the characters aren't super great. Um Ale- Alina and Melania are easily the best. Mm-hmm. Um and then you also have the main character who is searching for his brother who is evil
2: now. <laughs> that tends to happen.
1: Yeah, so <sighs> he's gone. My, my lasting memory of Grandia 2 is how hard the second to last boss battle was. Mm-hmm. Because holy crap, <laughs> that was really hard. Because he would go so fast that interrupting him, you you had to really be on the ball, right? Uh, in how you uh, use your moves because you had to time out your super moves while also interrupting him at just the right moment. Right. And if he got off his super move, woe (laughs) betide you because he would dramatically F you up with his really awesome and crazy good uh, super attacks. Well, he
2: is uh, one of the final bosses, so you got to give him that.
1: I think I was a little underleveled when I fought him. That could be the case too. Yeah, so... I was eventually able to beat him. It took a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of close calls, but I do remember that it was like one of those like white knuckle experiences because you're like sitting there praying that your interrupt will hit just before, like literally a nanosecond before (laughs) he's going to be using his like Uber attack on you that's going to finish you off. Mm -hmm. And you take just a deep sigh of relief as like, his little gauge goes all the way back, but then it starts forward again. You're like,
2: "Damn it!" <laughs> Just lie down.
1: I I think Grandia Two. Uh, yeah, so yeah, Grandia Two is primarily remembered for its magic system and or not its magic system it's battle system and as well as should be because its battle system was really really good even if the story was just okay mm-hmm. and grandia 3 is much the same i, I couldn't even finish grandia 3 because i was so put off by the story
2: right well i'll give it a try and uh thank you for the letter
1: uh yeah thank you so much Devin, and we'll be getting to the other one pretty soon i'm surprised that did you own a Dreamcast, cast nadia uh
2: i got one very late in the game um my husband oh. actually went to the States sometime in 2001 and came back with one, and, but we only had a couple of games for it.
1: I see. Okay. It's in a Yeah, I summer. got a Dreamcast. I think I bought my Dreamcast, like, maybe the day after it got canceled. Ah. Yeah. Uh, because I I just wanted to, well, I, I got one the day after it was canceled, because I assumed that it would become rare, <laughs> because they were ceasing production, yeah. so... Nope. I was like, right, I'm gonna get one um, after they like slice pri- slash prices and everything, and I got like Typing of the Dead. Typing of the Dead was so good. I never play that. I, loved, I want to. Uh, my girlfriend and I played Typing of the Dead so much; it was great. And we played Marvel vs. Capcom two mm-hmm. and um, lots of cool shoot 'em ups. And of course, I got Grandia two. I loved Crazy Taxi. Mm-hmm. So I-, I had a lot of. Oh, of course, Soul Calibur which is of maybe course. my favorite fighting game of all time. So, I really, I really loved my Dreamcast back in the day, and I don't know that it deserves the like almost slobbery love that it yeah. gets from nostalgic fans. Because I don't, I don't think it was a perfect console by any means. I, I thought it was an amazing fighting game console and a terrific arcade console, mm-hmm, but
2: definitely. But uh, it, it had, uh, it had character.
1: Yeah, people who are like it was a true gamers gamer 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 console <laughs> that, that believed in games with the with the gaming um is kind of annoying kind of an annoying narrative because yeah. PlayStation 2 was a terrific gaming console as well. Right, of course. Uh, uh it and in fact it had a a much deeper and wider library. And had plenty of creativity and interesting games to see Katamari Damashi. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like the Dreamcast was the last bastion of creativity yeah, in video not. games. Even if it was... And, and I, I know that I'm like, like, whoa, I'm going against the, the Dreamcast was perfect narrative. I, I think the Dreamcast was amazing. It's just... It's its uh, qualities are a
2: tiny bit overstated. Just a little. and You, you kind of realize it when bit. you go back to it was Sonic Adventure and Sonic Adventure 2... <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, Sonic Adventure and Sonic Adventure were never that good. <laughs> That's
2: um, not what people thought back in the day.
1: I, I did love that Dream Sega really went all out with the wacky adventiveness. And it was because of Dreamcast that we got games like like Res and, and stuff like that. And, of course, Soul Calibur like, <laughs> essentially killed uh, the arcade port by being a better-than-arcade-perfect port mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, yeah, I have a lot of my I do, in fact, have a lot of fond memories of playing my Dreamcast. Don't get me wrong. But if you have more underrated RPG pitches, um, also send those to cat.bailey at usgamer.net. I will read them on the air. In the meantime... Axe Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever our podcasts are sold. Um, you can find us on all of the social medias. I already mentioned me. It's the underscore CatBot and Nadia at Nadia Oxford. Check out U.S. Gamer on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, The Works. Um, we are putting out stuff whenever possible. Nadia, aside from Tiny Girl, Tiny Games, do you have anything to promote?
2: uh let's see uh on tiny girl tiny games i wrote a little thing about like being in the hospital and playing games at the same time like i kind of hmm. recounted the story when i was in the hospital and all they had was mario was missing and that was a tragedy
1: <laughs> oh no uh
2: other than that i wrote about um skyrim uh obviously and i'm actually writing a piece right now that will be up by the time this podcast is up so uh, it's about final fantasy 7 so please read that too
1: cool I wrote about, just recently on the site, I wrote about American Dietorio Senkyo, which is about the time that Japan tried to simulate American elections (laughs) on the Famicom. (laughs) Oh, yes. (sighs) Yeah, so that was a thing that happened. And uh, I also wrote about my trip to the Day of the Devs Indie Showcase in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really awesome. I talked a little bit about my BlitzCon reactions. Um, We didn't talk about it on the show, but I think it's really awesome that Diablo is going to be essentially sort of kind of remade in Diablo 3 as a free update. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That is cool. And I recently wrote about, um, well, of course, I wrote about how Exist Archive is in no way, shape, or form a spiritual successor to Valkyrie Profile which we discussed on last week's episode. We did. So uh, go check out all of that on the site. There's lots to cover. In the meantime, um, yeah, we made it through this episode. Woo. We did it. We hope we helped you feel We're a little bit better. We're still here. Yeah, I hope that this was a nice window. And if you're actually happy and, well, good, you, you got your mood bolstered even further. There you go. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Everybody's a winner. Uh, so yeah I'm going to New York I I will be in New York by the time this episode goes up but we will be back next week for more RPG goodness Uh, we'll be back to talk Pokemon Mm -hmm. Sun and Moon yeah there's going to be a lot to cover on that front it may be the entire episode so I guess we will see but please look forward to that in the meantime thanks for listening as always I've been Cap Bailey And for Nadia and myself, we'll see you again soon. Happy adventuring.